0: So 500 years ago, a man named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany, an event that would spark what we refer to now as the Protestant Reformation. But for those who were there for my lecture yesterday, and that is already up on the website, I would encourage you to listen to it. Uh, I do tell the history from Luther, uh, trace the history all the way to to us here in TCPC. Um, For those of you who were there for the lecture yesterday, you know that there is much, much more to the story than that moment. Before the Reformation could take over the world, the Reformation had to take over Martin Luther. Before Reformed theology could spread like fire. It had to burn within the hearts of the Reformers. And that's what happened. Martin Luther discovered the gospel, which liberated him and in turn liberated Christendom. So behind the pioneer of the Reformation, this bold, courageous man that you see depicted and talked about was a deeply fearful, troubled, anxious-ridden soul. A man heaped down with guilt and shame, a man terrified of death and judgment, exhausting himself in this unending, self-righteous quest of penance, painfully punishing himself for not living up to a righteous standard determinedly waking up every day and trying to construct a righteousness that he hoped could be acceptable in the sight of God. It it is not a stretch to say that perhaps nobody in the history of the world tried harder to make themselves right with God than Martin Luther. And ironically, the more he tried, the more guilt-ridden he became. So what happened is he began to hate God. He began to hate God for his standard of righteousness, and he began to hate himself for his failure to meet God's standard. And he spiraled down into a torturous pit of introspective despair. But in the darkest point of that, at the bottom of his despair, dawned a light, a light that would set fire to his soul and eventually set the world on fire. And now 500 years later, the fire of the Reformation is still burning, still in this room. What was this light that Luther discovered in the darkness? If you were there yesterday, you know it was a journey, a several-year journey to get to the point. But the final moment, the spark that lit the flame of the Reformation was one verse, the verse that is before you this morning. God used Romans 1.17 to change Martin Luther, who in turn then changed the world. And I want it to happen for all of us this morning. My prayer has been and continues to be is that the journey that Martin Luther went through himself, that we would experience that together this morning. The best way to honor the Reformation is to personalize the Reformation. To not allow it to be this distant, disconnected event in the past but to allow what shaped the world then to shape us, our hearts, our lives now. So my hope for this verse is that we encounter two things this morning. I want us to relate to Martin Luther in his burdens and in his freedom. So we're going to look at the burden of Martin Luther and the freedom of Martin Luther. Let's start with the despair What sent him to the bottom, the burden of Martin Luther. 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what is the it there? Uh, That refers to the previous verse. We said that as our assurance of pardon. Uh, Verse 16, which is the thesis for the entire book of Romans. Uh, Romans 1 1 and 16 and 17 is kind of Paul's thesis that he unpacks the rest of the book. And he says, straightforward in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And now here in verse 17, he says, for, because in it, so the it there is the gospel. In the gospel. Your translation, in fact, if you're not using the ESV, it might just insert gospel there and take that liberty. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, in the next point, we're gonna look we're going to look um, at the epiphany that Luther had about the revelation of the righteousness of God but first let's understand how Luther originally would have understood that term in verse 17 the righteousness of God he always understood it and it's appropriate to understand it in the conventional sense and the gospel does reveal the righteousness of God in this conventional way The gospel begins with this terrifying news. God is righteous. It will end with the good news that God will give you his righteousness, but it starts with this news. God is righteous. It's not just that God perfectly meets some um, transcendent standard that is above him, like he's perfect morality. It's that God himself is the standard. He defines what righteousness is, what is righteous, what is God. What is not righteous, what is unrighteous, what is not God. Now the righteousness of God has a justice component to it. If God is truly to be righteous, then God must judge all unrighteousness, otherwise he is not righteous. I'll say that another way to help you make sense of it. If he were to permit any unrighteousness, then he would compromise his own righteousness. So a crucial component of being a righteous God is the condemnation of all unrighteousness. So the righteousness of God necessitates the condemnation of God against all unrighteousness. Now, what implications does that have for us as unrighteous people that we are well it has really scary implications listen he loves sinners but not more than he loves his righteousness that is though he loves us though he wants us he will not indeed he cannot compromise his righteousness in order to have us or he would not be God and so for the sinner the righteousness of God means the condemnation of God now, I realize when I say that, I am saying that in an age that is different than Martin Luther. Um, that concept of the righteousness of God and the judgment of God and the condemnation of God, that was a given then, and it's been a given for, um, for centuries, but not for us, and that's okay. So whenever you talk about this, there needs to be a moment of apologetic towards it, um, I understand that the idea of judgment and condemnation of a judgment day and the condemnation of God is very unacceptable and even reprehensible to our ears. But what you need to understand is that everyone in this room and everyone on the planet without knowing it actually subscribes to this idea of judgment and condemnation. In the next chapter of Romans, Romans 2, Paul expounds upon the idea of judgment. And what he does is he brilliantly traps everyone into admitting not only its reality, but also its appropriateness. He says, he says this in chapter 2, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself. Here's his logic. The moment you pass judgment, and we all do that, we go about our day saying, that's right, that's wrong. Should, shouldn't. The moment you make a judgment call, the moment you pass judgment, you are admitting there is a thing called justice. And the moment you admit that there is justice, you are admitting that you yourself are under the standard of justice. And the moment you do that, you condemn yourself because you fall short of what is just. In other words, I'll make that simpler. You can't have it both ways. We want to have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't have an existence where you demand things be right and wrong. You can't have an existence where you demand that things are just and unjust and yet expect to be the one exemption from that existence. And most importantly, you can't can't judge others. You can't pass judgment on others and then tell God, you can't judge me. Either justice is a thing or it's not. If it's not, then quit acting like it is, which is impossible for us to do. But if it is, then you have to play by the same rules. Now the problem in that is that we can't even escape our own condemnation. Here's what I mean. If you were only judged based upon your standard of righteousness, your standard of what is right and wrong, then you would fall miserably short even of your own standard. If your judgment day was simply, let's see how you measure up to what you have said is right and wrong. Let's see how you measure up with what you demanded of the world and what you demanded of others. You know you would fall miserably short and thus have to condemn yourself. But it's only worse. God couldn't care less about your standard of righteousness. For he is the standard of righteousness and he will judge us on nothing less than his own glorious righteousness. So let me state this as plainly as possible to a society that doesn't like this language, but it's good for us to enter into the torment of where Luther found himself. And I'll be honest, may it torment our souls like it tormented his. There really is a God. That God really is righteous. You are going to die. You are going to face the righteousness of God. And God must and he will condemn you forevermore. Period. I don't think our culture knows what they're saying when they say only God can judge me. You're right. And that's bad news. Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about your judgment day? You can deny it with the secular answer and say, there is no such thing as a judgment day. Only the unenlightened believe in such myths. When we die, we just die. That's all. You can do that. It doesn't matter. It's still coming. You can ignore it by numbing out its reality with entertainment and shopping and hobbies and pleasures and addictions, whatever you choose. You can numb it out. It doesn't matter. It's still coming. You can do the religious thing and try to beat the system. That's what Luther did. You could try to beat the system of righteousness, be a good person, work off your bad deeds with good deeds. That's the solution every other religion will offer you. Here's, here's our way to beat the system. It doesn't matter. Luther tried that much harder than you ever will try it, and he couldn't pull it off. Neither can you, neither can anyone. You can try to beat the system. It doesn't matter. It's coming, and you're going to fail. You can fear it, you can hate God for it, you can rage against the heavens saying a good God is not allowed to do it, doesn't matter, it's coming. What are you going to do about your judgment day that with every heartbeat and every breath draws nigh? I'll tell you what you should do is you should wake up. Sober up. Sober up America who doesn't like to think and talk about death and just pretend like everything's okay. Sober up American churches that trifle about with entertaining self-improvement messages that speak nothing of eternity. Sober up and tremble as Martin Luther once did because literally there's nothing you can do. You cannot escape it And when it comes, you cannot survive it. The righteousness of God has you trapped, and there is no way out. Unless the God of all glory and righteousness, though He should not, though He must not, though we do not deserve Him to, Unless the righteous God, out of His sheer mercy, decides to find a way and offer a way for you to escape. Unless God would yet have mercy. And bless His righteous name, that's what He's done. To every unrighteous sinner facing condemnation, He proclaims a way out through the proclamation of the gospel. Do you see now why the gospel means good news? (laughs) And it is this good news that Martin Luther discovered at the bottom of his darkness and changed the world. We have related to the burdens of Martin Luther, and that's a good thing to do. But oh, how we need to relate to the freedom of Martin Luther. Let's go there. Martin Luther knew what righteousness of God meant in the traditional sense. He knew everything I just said, and everything I just said tormented him. But Luther was about to discover, which was actually a rediscovery. That's important to note. It's not that this was discovered 500 years ago. It had been lost, and Luther was about to rediscover the good news of the righteousness of God, and it would set him free. It all broke through in our verse. Let's go through it together, okay? For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, that's interesting. That is an interesting way to speak of the righteousness of God as something to be revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. I thought the righteousness of God just is. It's just who God is. It's just His attribute. It's It it needs no revelation because God is righteous. He necessarily is righteous. But Paul is talking about the righteousness of God as something that's been revealed. This puzzled Martin Luther. Why do you talk about it like that? Much much more, Paul says that the revelation of the righteousness of God is good news. (laughs) To Luther, the righteousness of God is the worst news. He had learned to hate God because of his righteousness. And that's what we saw on the first point. You can't get worse news than God is righteous. And here Paul is saying it is the gospel, the good news of the revelation of the righteousness of God. And even more bizarre is this language, from faith for faith. <laughs> what is that? In, in the Greek, that's a construct. It's, it's saying beginning and ending. From, from beginning to end. This is all faith. From beginning to end, faith. What is Paul talking about? How is the righteousness of God revealed? How is the righteousness of God good news? How is this revelation connected to faith? Well, the next clause was Luther's breakthrough. As it is written, so we know Paul's explaining himself here, and he chooses an obscure Habakkuk passage. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those six words became Martin Luther's epiphany and changed the world. The righteous shall live by faith. Luther says, wait a minute. I have been trying harder than any man alive to live by effort, by works, by discipline, by punishment. I have been living by penance, and it has gotten me no righteousness. In fact, it is only deep in my awareness of my unrighteousness. But Paul is saying that those who are righteous are those who do nothing, who live by faith, who live not by an active effort, but by a passive faith. What does it mean that the righteousness of God has been revealed in the gospel? What does it mean that we are righteous by faith and suddenly it hits him? Righteousness is not something we are to produce by effort. Righteousness is something we receive by faith. And what righteousness is it that we receive by faith? Paul says, the gospel is this good news, the revelation of the righteousness of God. It has been revealed. Paul isn't talking about the righteousness that God is. Paul's talking about the righteousness that God is offering And Luther says, oh my goodness, the good news that Paul is announcing is the news of the revelation of eustia alienum, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is outside me that I don't produce, that is another's, a righteousness that is outside and freely offered to me because I don't have a righteousness of my own and I'm completely helpless to produce a righteousness of my own so the righteousness God is offering is his own righteousness and in this way the righteousness of God is no longer our greatest fear it is our greatest joy God in the gospel has taken his righteousness and turned it from our greatest fear to our greatest gift and finally, Martin Luther is free. I'll read his own words. When I discovered that, what I just everything I just told you from 117, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost and the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. And I the righteousness of God with a love as great as the hatred with with which I once had for it. I fell in love with the righteousness of God at the same level I once hated the righteousness of God. Thus in this place, in Paul, was for me the gate to paradise. And with that, the floodgates open. The entirety of Scripture, which Luther knew so well so well, memorized almost all of it, he finally knew it rightly. He pulled on that string of righteousness as a gift, and the whole thing opened up. He saw that the righteousness by faith was everywhere in the Bible, even all the way back to the beginning of the story of redemption in Abraham. The whole thing started with this. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Luther's like, how did I miss this? And he just starts going through the New Testament and through the epistles and through Paul in particular and especially through Galatians and he sees it everywhere, righteousness by faith, righteousness by faith. And then he sees it gets even crazier. That the righteousness of God that is offered is revealed in the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus himself. In other words, the alien righteousness that we receive by faith is the very righteousness of Jesus. His life is mine. And then it gets crazier. He saw, what, 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 where, where goes my, uh, my unrighteousness? He saw that his filthy unrighteousness is what Jesus received in his death and condemnation that Jesus gets my unrighteousness, that I get his righteousness, Martin Luther sees the gospel and Martin Luther is finally free. And you can be free too. What Luther discovered 500 years ago has been discovered millions and millions of times over again and it can be discovered today. And I say that to um, non-Christians and Christians alike. Um, those who would identify themselves as a non-Christian or those who maybe would say, I'm Christian in kind of a cultural nominal way only. Um, it's never really been a big part of my life. I just you know kind of dabble. It's a cultural thing. Whatever. Th- 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 those who, who, who would not be Christians. What I said in point one is true, okay? You maybe have never had a preacher be as honest as as I was with you about the seriousness of this. But I'm honest because I love. What I said in point one is true. There is a God. You are going to stand before that God in judgment. But I have an offer for you. God has an offer for you. I, in his name, have an offer for you. It is the greatest offer you will ever receive. In the name of Jesus, I would like to offer you the righteousness of Jesus. You don't have to stand before God in your unrighteousness. You can stand before God in His righteousness. A righteous God must condemn unrighteousness, but a righteous God must accept righteousness. You can be free from the fear of death and judgment this very day. You could go to bed tonight and say, all is well with my death. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Christian, those who have believed by faith are righteous in Christ, this is for us too. Luther was big on this, that you never outgrow the gospel. Those who are righteous in Christ, I would say it is time to start believing and living like it's actually true, because it is. Enough with the endless introspection, trying to convince yourself that you're righteous. Enough with the self condemnation and self hatred. Enough with singling out certain particular sins that plague you and you elevate above other sins, and when you do them, you feel utterly condemned and lose assurance. Enough with the comparison game that we all play, envying the performance of other Christians. Enough with dwelling on the past. I know you got something there. God does too. It's gone. Enough with dwelling on the past. Enough with fearing the future. Enough to hell with your religion that you might enter into the heaven of God's gospel. Martin Luther on his deathbed, weary. Battered from a lifetime of suffering and protesting the church. His closest companions are by his bedside. They have to shout because Luther can barely hear at this point. They shout to him, Reverend, are you ready to die trusting in your Lord Jesus Christ and to confess the doctrine which you have taught in his name? This is it. A man who for so long was terrified of death and judgment is moments away from death and judgment. This is it. Are you prepared to die? Trusting in the doctrine which you have taught to so many. Your teaching has changed the world. You have begun a reformation that turned into a revolution. But are you ready to die in this doctrine? Luther whispers, last word, yes. And dies to go face God clothed in the righteousness of God. What about you? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to face the righteousness of God? If by faith you belong to Jesus Christ, I will answer that question for you. You don't have to answer it. If by faith you belong to Jesus Christ, then you are ready. Because you have been made ready. If you are ready to face the righteousness of God, because you yourself have been given the very righteousness of God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the eternal, unchanging, inexhaustible good news of The gospel, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, I stake my whole eternity. I pray that would be us. The word, the gospel has been preached. Now in the sacrament, the tangible gospel is tasted. In both, feed our souls with assurance. May we leave here free. May we leave here free, having discovered or rediscovered the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Christ, for your faithfulness. You did not have to do it, but you did it. And we love you, and we trust you alone. Amen.